Well, the population of the earth is nearing 7.7 billion people. Think about that for a moment. 7.7 billion. What a huge number of people. We know that every single one of those people needs to hear the gospel, needs to, to know how to be saved and, and how to walk with Christ. But how do we get the gospel to 7.7 billion people? In fact, let's think about our own town. How do we even make a dent in our own town? In in this area, there are, what, some 20,000 people? How how do we get the gospel to those people? What's the best plan to reach the vast numbers of people who need to hear the gospel? Well, what if we equip one, uh, pardon me, what if we equip 10,000 churches to reach 1,000 people? Every year. Think about that for a moment. 10,000 churches reaching 1,000 people every year. That sounds like a pretty good plan, doesn't it? But reaching 7.7 billion people? Well, that strategy would require nearly 800 years. And that doesn't account for population growth. So, what is the best strategy for reaching the world with the message of Christ, with the good news of? The gospel. That's the question that we're going to think about this morning as we take a look at Colossians chapter 2. I'd invite you to take a pew Bible there in front of you and turn to page 1044. You'll remember that Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. This was a strong church, but the church experienced difficulties because of false teachers trying to lure people away from the scriptures. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for they, those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. In this text, we see Paul's main idea, work diligently to make disciples. Work diligently to make disciples. And Paul gives three essentials for for making disciples. Let's look in verses 1 and 2 for the first essential. Notice that Paul speaks of this struggle that he has. What, what's he struggling? He's struggling for the spiritual growth of the Colossians. Now, this word to struggle can mean to, to fight, to strive, to have anguish. The idea is that Paul is fighting, he's struggling, he's anguishing for the spiritual good of the Colossians. Well, how? How does Paul struggle? How does he strenuously pursue the spiritual vitality of the Colossians? After all, you'll remember that he's writing this letter from a prison cell. He can't be with them physically. More than likely, he's in Rome. He's under house arrest with a Roman guard chained to him. Well, how is he laboring for their spiritual benefit? Well, we know from chapter 1, one of the ways that he labored was that he prayed for them. He was praying for the Colossians. But not only that, as we look at this book, we see that he labors for them through teaching, and through admonishing them. He fights or contends for the faith, not only of the Colossians, but also of the Laodiceans and and other believers that he hasn't yet met. Now, Laodicea was about nine miles from Colossae. 
So these two churches likely enjoyed fellowship together, and, and Paul wants both of these congregations and, and other believers that he haven't met yet to remain faithful to the Lord, to stay committed to the true gospel. Now, what we see is that though Paul had never met the Colossian believers, he knew Epaphras, the, the fellow who had founded the church, and he had heard about the church from Epaphras, though he really never knew them face to face, their spiritual growth and maturity mattered to Paul. He was serious about it. In verse 2, Paul longed to encourage the hearts of these believers, and he explains that encouragement, that their hearts would be encouraged as they are joined together in love. So Paul wanted to encourage them. How does he say they're going to be encouraged? Well, it's when they come together. He, He wants to see these believers encouraged through their fellowship with each other. Their understanding of the gospel and of Christ would be enriched, would be strengthened as they grew deeper in the relationships with one another. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So the riches of knowing God will be found in Christ and will occur in the midst of Christian community. Like a healthy plant. A healthy plant grows within the context of good soil. So a healthy disciple grows within the context of rich Christian community. Sure, you could take a plant and put it in a, in a cup of water and many plants will survive there. But if you want that plant to, to thrive and to do well, it needs to be in soil where, where it can gain nutrients. Can a Christian be a Christian on their own in that cup of water? Sure. But is a Christian going to become all that God wants them to be alone? I, no, of course not. Christian growth occurs within the context of Christian community within the soil of rich Christian relationship. So what do verses one and two teach us about how to make disciples? Encourage fellow believers to grow together in their faith. If you want to help someone grow as a disciple, encourage them to grow together with other believers. If you want to take a team to playoffs in basketball, there's a lot of work that's required You're going to go over the basics again and again and again. You're going to drill the fundamentals in. Those players have got to be able to dribble the ball. They've got to be able to defend the ball. They've got to be able to make layups, to make free throws. Those things are are critical. But they're not the only thing that a coach is going to focus on. Because each individual player on a team being able to shoot well or dribble well is simply not enough to win a championship. No, the coach is going to help the players learn to work together as a team. The players have to learn how to pass and and how to run plays as a team. If you have five players who are excellent at the individual aspects of the game, but who can't work as a team, loss is inevitable. Basketball is a team sport. Well, there's a parallel here between the game of basketball and the Christian life. Each player has to learn to dribble, or you could say each person needs to learn how to read the Bible. Each player in basketball needs to to be able to shoot a layup. So every believer needs to know how to pray. So there are many individual aspects of the Christian life. But success in basketball requires players to work together. And so does growth in the Christian life. It requires believers to be connected together as a team. So growth and encouragement in our Christian lives is going to happen within the context of healthy Christian community. 
Without these relationships, a believer's maturity will be hindered. His walk with Christ will be stunted and weak like a basketball player who can shoot like crazy but can't play with fellow teammates. You see, the Christian life is not about just you individually, but it's about you being connected to a family. You can't take one part of the equation and still have out and still have biblical Christianity. It is personal and communal. It is individual and corporate. We are meant to be connected together. How should this truth shape our lives and thinking? Do you attend or belong to a church? Do you attend or belong to a church? There's a big difference between those two. I don't think Paul envisions these Colossian believers going to church now and then on occasion. No, He wants to see believers who are deeply connected to one another in this this local expression of the body of Christ. So he is encouraging deep Christian relationships. And this takes time and it takes effort and it takes sacrifice. So I ask you, friend, do do you aim to attend a church or do you aim to belong to a church? They are two very different things. New Testament Christianity calls us not just to attend but to belong. And that's where the Apostle Paul says, we are going to grow. So are you planting your life in the rich soil of Christian fellowship? Do you join together in worship regularly? Do you participate in in a Bible study, small group? Do you serve? If you aren't, your growth in Christ is going to be affected. You may say, well, hey, I have my own personal walk with Christ. And I say to you, friend, that's good. You must have that. But that's a free throw. That's not basketball. You see, God calls us to be a part of a family. Next, encourage believers who are younger in the faith to belong to a church family. You want to disciple someone? You want to help a new believer begin to grow in Christ? Then help them get plugged into a church family. This is one of the most critical ways to help a younger believer grow. Encourage them to be regular, not hit or miss in their attendance and involvement. These contexts are critical for making healthy disciples. So we've seen that encouraging fellow believers to grow together is an essential in making disciples. Let's look in verses 2 through 3 for a second essential in disciple making. Paul wants these believers to have the wonder, the treasure of knowing God and knowing Him deeply. This will occur, he says, through God's mystery. It will occur through Christ. Now, remember, in the New Testament, when you see the word mystery, most of the time it refers to something that was once unknown, but that has now been made known. And what Paul is talking about here is that Christ was once longed for. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. They dreamed of the day that the Messiah would come. But Paul's saying, we live in a time when he's here. He came. He came. He has come. He's, he's been revealed. And so if you want to know God, the only way to know God is through Christ, through the mystery of Christ. In verse 3, Paul says that this wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Now, by hidden, Paul doesn't mean that this is some sort of secret knowledge. What he means is that we must search for this knowledge. In a sense, it's like a treasure to be mined and searched out. In Proverbs Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, we get a sense of this longing to know the wisdom of God. If you call out to insight, 
and lift your voice to understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So Paul is urging these believers to to, to know Christ more, to long for him, to search for him, to seek him. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to protect the Colossians from false teachings. The false teachers likely claimed that they had some sort of special knowledge, some sort of teachings that, that were, were unique to them, them and their fellow spiritual elites. And in these verses, Paul blows that up. He says, if you want true spiritual wisdom, then find Christ. Dig into who Jesus is. There you're going to find the truth of God. There you're going to find the wisdom of God. There you're going to have spiritual insight. You don't need some secret mysteries that these fellows over here are peddling. You need to get a hold of Jesus and know him and grow deep in him. So we've seen that we make disciples first by encouraging one another to grow together in the faith. Well, what do verses two through three teach us about making disciples? Help fellow believers grasp the realities of the gospel. Help fellow believers grasp the realities of the gospel. Now, if you'll forgive me, if I go back to basketball one more time on this Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Is it the Super Bowl? This is just not an important Super Bowl, is it? I don't know. Um, Another important skill is needed in basketball. It's called the assist. An assist is getting the ball to another person on the team who has a good shot. This skill can be difficult to develop as many players, they want to take the shot for themselves. For this reason, a willingness to make an assist is the mark of a maturing player, a player who's more interested in the team's success than his own. Now, in the Christian life, giving of yourself to help Another person grow is a key mark of maturity too. It is the willingness to assist another, to sacrifice your time and your energy for the good of a believer who's younger than you. And that's sacrificing for the good of the team. This commitment to the assist reveals a faith that's deepening, a faith that's maturing, a faith that's living out the heart of the gospel to make disciples and to help other people learn and live out the truths of of God's word. So how should God's call to assist others in grasping spiritual truth shape us? Well, first, study God's word diligently. Study God's word diligently. If you're going to be able to help somebody else, you need to have a firm grasp on the word of God. So study the word like a fellow searching for gold. Search the word of God. Know the word of God. Learn the word of God. Next, help fellow believers, particularly those who are younger in the faith than you. See life from the perspective of the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel tells us that Christ died for our sin, that he was buried, that he was raised to life. And to be saved, a person must turn from sin and put their faith in Jesus. And when this occurs, she's reconciled to God. She's made right with God. She is loved by God. Nothing she does could ever make God love her more. Once she knows Jesus, nothing she does could ever make God love her less. That's the awesome reality of the gospel. And we want to help disciples understand that. We want to help disciples grasp that. So life can throw some rough curveballs. But if you know Christ, if you have a grasp of the gospel, you know this isn't the end of the story. So help 
a younger believer gain the spiritual wisdom that comes from understanding the implications of the gospel. Next, help fellow believers develop a Christian worldview. Help fellow believers develop a Christian worldview. This means helping a person see all of life through the lens uh, of Scripture. How should I think about dating? Well, what does God's Word have to say about relationships? What about a job? Well, there's a lot of counsel in God's Word that can guide us regarding employment. What about abortion or, or sticky Uh, Ethical issues, embryonic stem cell research. Well, let's ask, what does the Bible have to say about this? What about living together? Should my girlfriend and I, should, should we move in together? Should we give this a trial run? Well, let's ask, what does the Bible have to say? You see, we want to help a younger believer see all of life through the lens of biblical truth. That's developing a Christian worldview. If you want to disciple someone, helping them see all of life from a biblical perspective is critical. So we've seen that to assist fellow believers in learning gospel truths is critical. Let's look for a third essential of making disciples in verses 4 and 5. The word this in verse 4 refers to what Paul has been saying in the previous verses, verses 1 through 3. He's written what he's written in verses 1 through 3 to protect the Colossians from heresy. Now, for the first time in the book of Colossians, Paul directly addresses the false teachers here in verse 4. He says that he doesn't want the Colossians to be tricked. And he says this is a real possibility. Well, why? Paul says because the false teachers are very convincing. Their arguments sound good. What they say sounds reasonable enough. In Colossians 1.5, Paul called the gospel the word of truth. Now here, Paul says these false teachings are deceptive. They are lies. So Paul draws a sharp contrast between the truth of the gospel and the deceit of the teachers. And he does not want the believers in Colossae or Laodicea or any other believers to be deceived by the clever lies of the false teachers. Notice that what concerns Paul isn't a danger from the outside of the church. Friends, it's a danger that arises from within the church. And today, we still face threats from within the church constantly. The prosperity gospel that says if if you have enough faith, if you speak words uh, of blessing into your life, that God will will keep you from ever being sick. He will keep you from from being poor. He'll bless you with, with whatever you want. If you can have the right thoughts and say the right words, that's heresy. That's not the the teaching of scripture. And yet guys make millions and gals make millions and millions and millions of dollars a year peddling that. You see, the false teachings are not coming from the outside. Friends, they're coming from the inside. There are many churches today who who claim the name of Christ, but they don't hold to the Bible. They don't believe the Bible's really true. And when you start talking to them about gospel, you find out it's all been redefined. They use the word Jesus, but it doesn't, they don't really mean the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. They mean a nice guy that kind of high fives you and says, hey, everything's good. You're cool. doesn't matter what you do. Everything's great. Everybody's going to heaven. Everything's wonderful. Yet those false teachings are arising from within the so-called church. That's what Paul was concerned about. And so Paul calls these believers to be careful, not to be deceived by these arguments that sound so good, that sound so legitimate. And they come from within the church. 
In verse 5, Paul reminds these Christians that though he isn't with them physically, he is with them in the Spirit. You see, when a person comes to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. The Apostle Paul had the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within him. So did the believers there at Colossae. And in that sense, Paul says, I'm not with you, but I'm with you. I'm there with you in spirit. He wanted these believers to know his support. He wants to strengthen them and to help them be able to stand in their faith. And in verse 5, he begins to use military language. The Greek word for for well-ordered there in verse 5 was used to describe an orderly array of disciplined soldiers. In this way, Paul wants the believers in the church at Colossae to be well-ordered in the faith, committed together to the truth of the gospel. Next, Paul refers to the strength of their faith. Again, the Greek word that's translated as strength here was used in, in military parlance and likely meant a solid front, used to refer to an army that was under attack, but that maintained battle lines. So in the face of false teachings, in the face of the schemes of the evil one, Paul wanted these Christians to remain steadfast. He wanted these Christians to be immovable in the faith. So we've seen that we make disciples first by encouraging one another to grow together in the faith and by assisting one another in learning the realities of the gospel. Well, according to verses four and five, a third essential in making disciples is strengthen fellow believers. Strengthen fellow believers in the church. We want to help younger believers be prepared to hold fast to the gospel in the face of false teachings and to be able to withstand whatever attack might come at them. Consider the following story. A troubled parent called the principal of Pine Road Elementary in Oakland, Oregon. This parent of a fifth grader explained that she had just spoken with her child. His bus was stuck in a snowstorm and was in the midst of traffic. And so the principal called that student himself And he FaceTimed with that student and began to talk with all of the kids on the bus. That student told him that the children on the bus were terrified. The younger kids were, in his words, freaking out. And so the principal, uh, here on FaceTime, began to explain to the kids, hey, you're okay. The adults who are on that bus are going to take care of you. There are policemen out who are going to help. You guys are going to get through this. And then the principal began to read the kids' stories on FaceTime. He's reading them stories and and passing the time. Well, after four and a half hours, traffic was moving again, and those children, they were safely dropped off. See, that principal helped those kids face the enemy of fear. He helped them stay calm and in difficult circumstances, circumstances that, that were clearly upsetting to them. Well, discipling others is a little bit like this. It's walking alongside fellow believers and helping them face the challenges of the Christian life. Paul mentioned the challenge of, of false teachers specifically, but truly Paul's striving to equip these believers to face whatever challenge the evil one might throw, whatever challenge life might throw at them. We're thankful for a principal who cares deeply for the kids under his care. But in the church, we need to ask this question. Who are the believers who will walk alongside younger Christians and disciple them and walk with them 
through the hardships and the battles of life. Connect with younger believers and help them grow. Disciple them. Who will do that? We desperately need disciple makers in in the church. How should this idea of strengthening one another be lived out? Well, first, look for ways to learn more personally. We've already talked about this, but I think it, it is worth talking about a bit more. If you want to help disciple another believer, you need to be firm in the faith yourself. This means learn the Bible. Learn the teachings and the doctrines of the Bible. If you're a part of a Bible study on Sunday morning in our church, not all classes, but most classes are taking a three-year journey all the way through Scripture. And this helps you learn the big picture. It helps you put the pieces together. We need to gain that kind of knowledge. And so I would invite you, if you're not involved in a, in a Bible study group on Sunday morning, jump in. We, we would love to have you. It's a great opportunity to grow deeper, to learn more. On Sunday evenings, often we, we spend time focusing on the great teachings of the Bible. There are other opportunities as well. I would encourage you, find ways to go deeper. You don't need to know everything to disciple others, but you do need to be growing in your walk with Christ. Next, stand against false teachings by knowing the truth. If you want to be prepared to stand against the false teachings, the best way to do it is to have a firm grasp on the truth. When you get an immunization, you're preparing your body to withstand the attack of some virus. If you want to be able to withstand the attacks of false teachings, of the lies that come even from within the church, the best way to do that is to get a firm grasp of the truth. Next, nurture the faith of believers who are younger in the faith. Find ways to to help them, to walk alongside them. Paul uses words of encouragement, teaching, and prayer to help these Colossian believers. You too, look for for ways to to walk alongside younger believers, praying for them and, and teaching them. Reinforce the importance of developing the rhythms of life that will help them grow. You, you say to a younger believer, hey, you, you want to grow in Christ? You need to have your family rooted in church. Think through your schedule on a weekly basis. How can you, how can you plan your week where you make that a priority, not something you work in? How can you find time to, to read the word each day? You want to help a younger believer learn to read the Bible. Those kinds of things are going to help them mature in Christ. So we've seen that we're called to strengthen fellow believers in Christ. We began by considering the enormous task before us, getting the gospel to nearly 7.7 billion people. We saw that if 10,000 churches reached 1,000 people every year, that within 800 years we could get the gospel to the world's population at this time. But we asked the question, is there a better way? Well, meet Sam and consider his strategy. Every year, Sam strives to reach one person. He strives to find one person that he shares the gospel with and that he disciples over the course of the year. So at the end of one year, Sam has discipled one person and you have two disciples, Sam and the person that he has discipled. Meanwhile, let's think about our first strategy. 10,000 churches reaching 1,000 people at the end of year one. 10 million people. Sam's reached one person. You got two disciples. This other program or strategy has reached 10 million people. Now, when you compare the true two, Sam's strategy looks a little weak, doesn't it? 
Maybe foolish by comparison, but let's look at how Sam's strategy plays out long term. At the end of two years, if all of these disciples continue trying to reach one person and, and disciple that person over the course of a year, at the end of two years, there would be four disciples. At the end of three years, there would be eight disciples. At the end of four years, there would be 16 disciples. Well, let's fast forward to year 35. In year 35, you could have reached 34 billion Christians or people. And that would clearly cover any possible population growth. Do you know what's so ingenious about Sam's plan? It isn't Sam's plan at all. It's the plan of Jesus. It's the plan of the master. Let me read Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. You see, Sam's plan is in fact the master's plan. It's the plan that we see the apostle Paul following. Friends, Sam's plan better be our plan. If you know Jesus, then it is time to own the call of God in your life. It is time for you to begin making disciples. This is our only hope for reaching the world. It's our only hope for reaching our area. So like Paul, work diligently to make disciples, encourage fellow believers to grow together, help fellow believers grasp the realities of the gospel, strengthen fellow believers. And if you know Jesus, I want you to ask yourself, who could I disciple? Maybe that question needs to be backed up just a bit. Who is it that I need to share the gospel with? Who is it that God has placed in my life strategically that I could tell about the Lord Jesus? Begin praying for that person and set a deadline. Don't say, I'm going to pray forever. Set a deadline. Say, for the next month, I'm going to pray for him. And then at the end of that month, I'm going to find a way to, to, to begin a conversation about how to know Jesus. I'm not going to pray indefinitely. That's what we like to do. I can do that myself. We need, to, we need to pray and we need to get busy. And then we need to begin to disciple that person. You want to see 20,000 people in Uvalde reached? Then how about 250 of us get busy? It, the first year, there could be 500. Well, that's a dent in 20,000. It's not a huge dent, but it's a dent. But then the next year and the next year, it could make a difference. Friends, this is the plan of Jesus. And I ask you, if you know Jesus, who are you reaching who are you sharing Jesus with? Who are you discipling? Who are you walking alongside? Friends, this is the call of God in your life. This is why you're here. This is why you're here. Why won't we answer the call of God? Let's do it. Let's do it, friends. Let's do it. Let's make an impact in the lostness here in our community and ultimately worldwide. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the good news that I have for you is that you can know him. You can have a personal relationship with the God who created the universe. How? Well, will you come to the place in your life where you say, God, I surrender. I'm tired of doing things my own way. I believe Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he was raised again, and I want to follow him. And when you cry out to God like that, I want you to know God will get a hold of you and he will never let you go. Even if you drop the ball, it's the good news of the gospel. It's about his faithfulness, not your faithfulness. Even if you fumble, and all of us do, he 
will never drop you. He will never let go of you. The gospel tells us that we can't save ourselves. But the good news is since we can't save ourselves, we can't unsave ourselves either. Once we're in his hands, we are always secure. Today, if you are here and you do not know the Lord Jesus, eternity is in the balance. If you do not know him, you will not go to heaven. You will not spend eternity with God. You will spend eternity separated from God. What you demanded here on earth, you'll get for all eternity. A terrible place called hell. Friend, you don't want that. That's why Jesus died. So that you wouldn't have to to live eternally separated from him. And friends, that's why we need to care that there are so many people who don't know Jesus. Let's Get out and share the gospel and let's disciple people. Let's be disciple makers. Let's answer the call of God in our lives. Join me in prayer.